This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, your host, and with me today is Bishop Peter Smith, Auxiliary Bishop for the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. We've been discussing with Bishop Smith a little bit about the Holy Spirit working in our church. We have priestly ordinations, diaconate ordinations this year of 2022, and looking forward to more growth with confirmations, uh, First Holy Communions with our young people. So this is a beautiful time to celebrate the joy of Jesus in our lives, but it's a day-to-day relationship. And so Bishop Smith, thanks for coming back on the program today. Great to be with you, Dina Marie, and with all you wonderful folks who are listening along on uh, Mata Day Radio. Well, we are right into uh, the month of June, and I love the June month. It's my birth month, so I, I love that. Particularly if you live in Oregon, it's Rose Festival time and June Dairy Month for me who came from Tillamook. But it also is the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart, and during this month we have Pentecost, Holy Trinity Sunday. Uh, We also have the Feast of Corpus Christi. I mean, for Catholics, this has got to be one of the most beautiful months for us to celebrate liturgically, and I think just to gather the people for prayer. Um, But let's kick it off with, well, you know, it's the Ascension, Ascension Thursday, which actually comes up in May, but that really is the signal of something changing from, from Jesus's ministry on earth And then he's turning that ministry over to the first apostles. Just give us a sense of this transition of Jesus kind of sending that baton down to Peter and the first apostles um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I I remember growing up in South Africa, Ascension Day was always a public holiday. Wow. (laughs) All things have changed. Yeah. So, yes, in in the United States, almost every region in the country, except I think one of the regions up in New England, Mm -hmm. up in that area, they still celebrate Ascension on Thursday. But for all the other parts of the country, the observance, so there's the actual day, which is Ascension Thursday. The, The observance of it is transferred to the following Sunday. So it's the Sunday before Pentecost Sunday. That... This uh, we will follow that. Uh, so it's right at the end of May, uh, May the 29th, we celebrate the Ascension. And the Ascension is Jesus ascends to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come upon the apostles and disciples. So in one sense, we have Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who is in a time and a place. Now, obviously, post-resurrection, Jesus Christ is, uh, this is the glorified Jesus. But it's like guys and ladies who among their disciples, 
time for the training wheels to come off. (laughs) So I'm going to the Father, but we're going to send you the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this, you know, I will send you another advocate. And it's, it's necessary that I go to the Father and another advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, who makes Christ makes the Trinity present in our hearts and lives mm-hmm. and equips us for ministry. So Jesus stands, and that's when we get the novena before Pentecost, uh, looking at uh, Jesus and the apostles and disciples waiting for whatever this is. Now, remember, we look back from the perspective of faith, and, and, and we know, but for them, that they're not sure what's going on. Jesus is saying this to them. So he ascends to the Father, and then they wait, and then on Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast. So that's why all these people were in Jerusalem. So it's a Jewish feast, and on this Jewish feast, the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, the apostles and disciples in the upper room, and they're changed men and women. They are changed people. They go out, and they start proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. This is part of what I'm using in my, my confirmation homily for this year, as if you look at the spectrum of Jesus's life and you have the people in Jesus's life and ministry, most of whom were fans of Jesus, not followers. You know, they went to see Jesus and all the, the, the healings and everything. And then they went back home. Some became followers uh, after Jesus's resurrection. Now remember those followers, almost all of them deserted him at his crucifixion. And then after the resurrection, they're ecstatic and happy, but they're timid. And it's only after Pentecost that they then go out and start proclaiming the good news. And I think for us as Catholics, many of us live between the resurrection and Pentecost. Yes, we believe this, but we don't have uh, the strength, the wisdom, the guidance of the Holy Spirit to the way that we need to, to live as apostles and disciples after Pentecost. So we seem to, the way we live our Catholic faith is in that gap between uh, the resurrection and Pentecost. But Pentecost comes and they go out and we know from the Acts of the Apostles what happens. So what the things we see Jesus doing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and disciples are doing the same thing. These kinds of things, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out evil spirits. So Pentecost, when you look at the... the uh, the order of feasts and celebrations in the church year, the highest liturgy in the church year is the Easter Vigil. Long before it became a political term, within the church, it was regarded as the mother of all liturgies. This is the Easter Vigil. It's probably one of the most complicated liturgies if you've got everything there for it. So you start with that, and then you have Christmas, which is the incarnation, and then you have Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Pentecost kind of, from my perspective, and I have a little bias here, gets kind of short shrift. Um, We used to have uh, an octave celebration after Pentecost that uh, we don't do anymore. Uh, I would like to suggest to Pope Francis, if I ever had the uh, opportunity to do so, why don't we reinstate the octave of Pentecost? We have the novena in preparation and the octave afterwards. Typical Catholic celebration. By the way, Dina Marie, you should do that for your birthday. You yes. start a novena, a novena of preparation nine days before your birthday. The high point is your birthday, and then you continue the celebration afterwards. That would be an authentically Catholic thing to do. 
I love that. Okay. <laughs> I am going to do that. Should uh, I tell your husband? <laughs> absolutely. We will be on it. And, you know, I've heard people certainly, and I've seen so many prayers and I've prayed many of the consecration to the Holy Spirit. But there's also this language, Bishop Smith, that I hear, uh, especially from our friends at Renewal Ministries, you know, Sister Ann Shields and Peter Herbeck and Ralph Martin, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit, really this movement of the Holy Spirit. And I know the Synod, you know, we've been asking, you know, what's the Holy Spirit doing in our church today? So maybe let's get into that a little bit more about this Holy Spirit movement. How can we individually or as a community become more aware, present, engaging, interactive with the Holy Spirit? Well, the bottom line is we are called to live as Jesus calls us to, to serve as Jesus serves and to continue Jesus's mission in the world. We cannot do that on our own strength alone. I cannot, you cannot, Mother Teresa couldn't, John, St. John Paul could not. And the apostles and disciples could not, we see that. And so God in his mercy gives us what we need to be able to live that way and act that way. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see it very clearly in the lives of the early church and the acts of the apostles. The Holy Spirit transforms these men and women. Now, it's not uh, something that's imposed on us, but it is offered to us as a gift to go, go further. And the reason for that is God has given us freedom and free will, and he doesn't override our free will. And he wants us to respond in love and openness, just like you would with, with your husband or wife or with a very close friend. As you grow in your relationship with them, <clears throat> you open your lives more to one another and you make one another part of your lives. So this is a process that happens. People think that St. Paul or Paul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus got blitzed by the Lord. Well, that's a theological term, but he got blitzed by the Holy Spirit or the Lord. And then suddenly he's out doing going as an evangelist well, there's at least 13 years including 10 years that he spent in the wilderness that he refers to in his obliquely in some of his letters so god was preparing paul and when the time was ready paul went out with the lord with the power of the holy spirit and became this great evangelist and we need the Holy Spirit. The, the, the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, bautizo, means to be immersed. And they used to use that word when they would take uh, cloth and immerse it in dye. So the dye would soak through the cloth and the cloth would come out. It was still a cloth, but it had a different hue to it because of the dye that had, had gone through the fabric. So that's the term that is used for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it comes from John the Baptist. When John the Baptist says, one is coming after me mightier than I, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so that's a, he's prophesying what's going to happen at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So you are immersed or filled or filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit in your life to the degree that obviously that you allow that with your own free will. But that's what gives you the strength to go on in public ministry. And it's not just a, a thing that happens to us. It's like we've, we are filled more and more with the life of God. And that's what gives us what we need. So think of it in this way. 
Most of us probably know, have those little, little sponges that we use in the kitchen to clean our pots and pans. And some of us may have sponges in the shower. If you just let it sit for a while, what happens? It dries out and it becomes like a rock, like a hockey puck. Mm-hmm. And what you do then is what happens when you put water on it? So the, the sponge starts to soften and it will fill up with water to the point where now it can't contain any more water and then water starts leaking out. It's a great analogy for what happens with us and the Lord, with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our life is like that sponge. Our, sp- our life, can, no matter how hard it can be, you know, the drip, drip, drip of the water of the, the Spirit of God in our lives, and it, we are not obliterated by God in our life, the Holy Spirit in our life. We're still who we are with our senses of humor, with our personalities, with our idiosyncrasies, and so on. So just like the sponge, it retains what it is, but it now contains within it something that has changed it in the sense that it's now not hard, but soft. And it gets to a point where now it's so full of this that it's overflowing with what it contains, which is the water. And in a sense, that's a great analogy for what God wants for our lives. You know, he he wants us to be so full of him that that just flows forth from us. Mm-hmm. And that's when we are these living, transforming witnesses for people. Right. So that's, that, that's what, what uh, John the Baptist was referring to and what we mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a deeper experience and openness to the Holy Spirit of our, in our lives that transforms us. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned novenas. I love that during this time of Pentecost, Bishop Smith, because is Pentecost really kind of our first novena of that time of preparation and prayer before this big feast to give us a sense of of what we can kind of tell of what happened with the early church disciples, our Blessed Mother, with the coming of the Holy Spirit and their preparation secluded in prayer yeah, they, they basically hold up, hiding out, uh, waiting to see what was going to happen. And uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, and in their case, it was, a, at least for some of them, a radical and immediate transformation. Yet we do know from the life, of, from the Acts of the Apostles and the tradition of the early church, most of them went on, like in the case of the Apostles, uh, all but one of them went on and were martyred for their faith. Mm-hmm. So this radically transformed them. Doubting Thomas, you know, St. Thomas you know, goes to India and helps bring Christianity there. So the, the, uh, their prayer and preparation is something that you know, we say now we've received the Holy Spirit to some level in baptism and confirmation. But there's always more in the Lord, always more in the Lord. God is infinite and we are not. And we can never exhaust everything that God has for us, no matter how good we are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always more in the Lord. And so every year as we go through this, this is an opportunity to say, you know, you can pray however you choose to pray as in the novena up to Pentecost. Say, Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit in my mm-hmm. life. I want more of you in my life. Because the Holy Spirit, in a sense, makes God, the Trinity, part of our life more and more to the degree that we, we allow that to happen. It's amazing, actually, that God who creates the whole universe and holds it into existence simply by willing it uh, gives us this freedom in our lives. But it's because God wants us 
to love him and to serve him and to follow him. Um, for those reasons, not as zombies or mindless robots. Right. It is about service. We go back to our earlier conversation about service in the ordained ministry. Really, in any vocation, it is about service in the particular state that we're called to serve in our vocation. And that is such the gift. From Pentecost, the next following feast is that mystery, the mystery of the Holy Trinity. We even have a Holy Trinity parish right here locally, a couple of them, I know, in the Archdiocese of Portland. Uh, but it is such a mystery. But this is who we are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our baptismal rite includes that particular recognition of God, three in one. Just a little bit about the Holy Trinity and why we have a particular feast for Holy Trinity Sunday in this time of the year. That brings me back to a memory in the seminary where one of these students decided to tweak one of the professors and said to him, uh, there's, a, there's a lay deacon, Dr. Cummings, I don't fully understand the Trinity. Could you explain it to me? And Dr. Owen Cummings in his thick Scottish accent just burst out laughing. And he says, no, I can't. And if anyone says they can, they're lying because they don't. Oh. <laughs> we don't know. It, it is a mystery. So the mystery is not necessarily something that we don't understand. A mystery is something that is mysterious or something that is great that happens that we, we are given some knowledge and understanding of. So you have the mystery of the Trinity. It's interesting because the life of the church year focuses on the life and public ministry of Jesus. And so we have seasons where we look at certain aspects. So we have Advent preparing for the incarnation and what that really means, Christ coming into our world. And then we sort of have this period of ordinary time, shorter or longer, depending on when Easter is. Then we have Lent, because we're now preparing for Jesus's passion, death, and resurrection. And then after Lent, we have this great period of Easter. We celebrate Easter, which concludes with Pentecost. And then we go to Trinity Sunday, the next Sunday, and then Corpus Christi, the Sunday after that. And then the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Friday after that, and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Saturday after that. But we're into this long period of ordinary time all the way through the sort of second half of the year to the beginning of Advent. So, so our focus in, in the church year is the life of Jesus, pretty much. And we have Marian feasts. We also have other major solemnities that we celebrate. But you, So you have the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus, the Easter celebration, the coming of the Holy Spirit, which I wish they would have an octave of the celebration of the Holy Spirit up to Trinity Sunday. And then we have Trinity because this is our notion of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we've had people for nearly 2,000 years fighting about the identity of Jesus. To me, that's an easier, easier belief than the Trinity. Now, when we think of three persons, we think of the Greek notion of person isn't quite the same as ours. So we think of like ourselves, you're a person, I'm a person, the archbishop is a person, uh, whoever else is a person. We're completely separate, autonomous, distinctive people. The, the Greek notion was a little different. But this notion that we have of the Trinity as a God as a Trinity, it comes from, it was settled in about 30 years by uh, three bishops known as the Cappadocian Fathers, uh, two of whom are some of the, or the, or two of the four sort of great fathers of the Eastern Church and the very early church. So it was Gregory of Nazianzen, 
Gregory of Nyssa and Basil the Great, and two of them were brothers. So, so these three in 30 years came up with this notion of Trinity, which is, seems, I mean, we accept it and we, at this point, and the notion of Trinity comes about because of Jesus. Jesus describing his relationship with the Father mm-hmm. and Jesus describing them sending forth the Holy Spirit. So how do we make sense of that? And we also don't know um, or don't have records of some of the things. So we have scripture. So that's sacred scripture. This is the inspired word of God. There's also a sacred tradition in the Catholic Church, which are those things that Jesus said and did that were held to a certain level of importance by the early church and passed on. So that's where the notion of tradition comes from, sacred tradition, because obviously Jesus said and did other things. And that's where we get some of our other practices from. Uh, the, the veneration of Mary that we have in the church, some of our other beliefs come from there. And there are some documents that still exist where you see these things laid out. But what happens is you have this development of the notion of the Trinity. The Trinity kind of gets short shrift. So you have the whole life of Jesus, the Father's kind of interspersed in there. Then you have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Oh, and by the way, they're this way. And before we have time to catch our breath, the next Sunday is Corpus Christi. It's just an interesting move in, in the church calendar. And I'm sure it keeps priests really hopping, like what liturgical color, what's all happening, uh, but it is all beautiful. And with the month of June, traditionally, again, tying into the Sacred Heart, and you mentioned Sacred Heart is tied to Corpus Christi, right? So it follows that Friday following. It's a movable feast, as is Easter a bit, right? When You helped us know about the beginning of the Easter feast from the Gregorian calendar uh, from John the first Pope and martyr. Um, So this idea of the sacred heart of Jesus, and maybe we'll just take a little bit of time tying it into Corpus Christi, sacred heart. And then of course, immaculate heart of Mary, they all have these connections of, you know, the total love of God. Yeah, I grew up, uh, my father had a deep devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus and had the, the, the famous image of the sacred heart of Jesus from from when I was a little as kid, it was in our dining room. And uh, even in retirement and up to his death, that image of the Sacred Heart was in my parents' house. And it's now in my mother's house, where, where she lives in, a, in an assisted living situation. That image of the Sacred Heart is there. And it's one of the devotions in the church uh, that I really like because what it does or tries to do is make Jesus more human and approachable for us. Mm. And we had a lot of devotions came because people felt this overwhelming sense of sin and separateness from God. So we have to, we can approach God through the saints or the blessed mother, but we can't approach God directly. And in some levels, that instinct is good because, you know, God is all holy and everything um, that we are not. And we should have that sense of, uh, deep awe and respect. That's a true fear of the Lord, not cowering in terror, but mm-hmm. the fear of the Lord in, in the sense that God is awesome and holy and amazing, and we are not. And so we, but nonetheless, uh, these, these devotions develop. The Sacred Heart of Jesus 
came in a time where it, their focus on the heart of Jesus was that we can identify as human beings with the heart of Jesus. And so we can identify with Jesus in a way that allows us to allow Jesus to come into our lives much more deeply. So I remember as a little boy going to uh, St. Mary's Church in, in my hometown uh, with my dad on these Fridays where they do these devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I still remember a couple of the, the, the hymns that we would sing from, from those days. Uh, but my father had that deep devotion. But it was for me, it was one of those things where it makes God approachable. It makes Jesus approachable for us as human beings. Because that instinct about God is so holy and we are not and we can't approach. On one level, that fear of the Lord is a good thing. But on another level, uh, we don't want that to prevent us approaching the Lord. You know, and I'm quite sure the evil one plays on some, some people's fears about that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm such a sinner, I can't approach the Lord. Well, that's true. We're all real sinners. But we, are, we can approach the Lord. And God wa wants us to approach him and invites us to approach him. And the, the, way we, the reason we have these devotions is God speaks to us in ways that we can understand as human beings. And, you know, people say, well, why does the Blessed Mother appear so much to Catholics? Because this is a way that Catholics can understand God expressing his love and his concern for us through the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we can hold on to. Look at the, uh, the appearance of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the greatest mass conversion in humanity. Yeah. You know, 14 million people in 10 years become Catholics. And what drew them? It was the image, the miracle, but the sense of the Blessed Mother is one of us and we can approach. Yeah, very approachable. I know early on becoming Catholic, one of the prayers that I learned was the morning offering, which is really tied into the sacred heart, you know, through the sacred heart. And, and so I just would encourage people to have a particular prayer that's connected with the sacred heart on a daily basis. Maybe it is that beautiful morning offering to really help us to approach uh, the Lord and his heart. So Thank you so much. We'll have to continue on in our conversation in future episodes. Again, safe travels on the road. And would you help us close this time together with your blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Sacred heart of Jesus, we entrust ourselves to you. As you opened your heart to us, may we open our hearts to you. And we ask your blessing now upon us all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie. And until our next encounter, may God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. 
You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.